Hello and welcome to our first episode of Do You Know What? A podcast featuring me, Rabbi Charlie Beginsky, the current interim director of Liberal Judaism, and two of my very good friends, Leo Mindell and Rebecca Singerman-Knight, who will introduce themselves in a moment. Going forward, we will be welcoming lots of guests to our virtual couch. But this week, we are really thinking about the news of the current election in the US and also of the very sad, untimely death of Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs. But before we get on to those topics, I am going to hand over to my fellow couchmates, to Leo and then to Rebecca. Welcome. It's great to be here. For myself, I'm Leo. I am a member of uh, Northwood and Pinner Liberal Synagogue and also I'm involved in the IT and the tech world and doing all those wonderful things with buttons. Well, follow that. So hi, everyone. Um, and thank you for inviting me to this very comfortable virtual couch. I'm Rebecca, Rebecca Singerman-Knight. Um, I am a member of Kingston Liberal Synagogue. I, um, I'm deputy chair there and I run their press and publicity. Um, and I'm delighted to be part of this very cool team. I don't get that, Charlie. Did we actually invite Rebecca? Or did she I think just, it was um, my idea to yeah, do this, absolutely. actually, Leo. So I think I invited you guys. <laughs> I, I think that's the case, isn't it? In fact, I don't think we actually got much of a say, did we, Charlie? No, I think I just received a calendar invite telling me to be on this couch at this time. And it has carried on from there. But I am really excited to be involved in this project. And I'm really looking forward to the guests that we're going to have on in future shows as well. But we'd also love to hear from people out there who they'd like to hear on our on our couch, on our show. If there's anybody that people would like us to be talking to in conversation, then let us know. And uh, we look forward to hearing from you. But in the meantime, Leo, I imagine, and Rebecca, that you've been glued to the TV, to the radio, to Twitter this week as we watch those election results come in. There's been so much anticipation beforehand and still we're in a kind of period of uncertainty, even though at the moment it is looking like Biden has won conclusively. I actually... um tried to stay away from Twitter for most of last week because I find Twitter in these kind of situations frankly unbearable. So my my um, media of choice through most of the last week was listening to the soundtrack of Hamilton, which was actually a brilliant thing to be listening to with everything going on. Um, I just found it. Yeah, I just I just thought it would be very easy to sit there and be refreshing the 538 Twitter feed every 30 seconds. And I had a lot of friends who were doing just that and letting me know what was going on. But incredibly stressful as well. So I just thought, you know what, I'm going to just try to avoid the obsessive refreshing. There is absolutely nothing I can do about the results. What will happen? What will happen? Um, I try to focus on other things like my day job. Um, And Saturday afternoon at the point where the BBC and CNN finally called it, I was having a lovely nap. And I was woken up by the BBC notification. I knew exactly what the notification would be because I knew it was imminent. And at that point, I went back on Twitter because, you know, that was the news. Um, But yeah, I mean... Gosh, what a what a week. It's interesting what you say about there's nothing that you can do. My brother mm. lives in New York and um, although he has a green card, he can't and has been there for, wow, nearly 11 years now, he can't vote. And 
I think that that's a really difficult, even more stressful situation that even if you do get a vote, you can't call the result. But being able to participate and to vote is a very different thing than having to really be in the same country, especially a city like New York, and sit there and watch it and not be able to cast your vote. I think he's found exceptionally hard. I think it's been an interesting experience to follow it, to watch... For me, got some interest in American politics, but I definitely feel that it ramped it up another level. And you watched how these things play out. And it's it's a very, very different process to the one we have here in the UK. And for those that don't know the difference is that, you know, they're voting for everything from the president on the same piece of paper. It's president right down to dog catcher. So it's a big piece of paper. Down ballot. I think the big question I have is what does it mean for us as Jews? On the face of it, you sit there and go, well, one of these guys has had over the last four years a track record of prioritising or making changes in Israel. And one doesn't. So what does that mean? I think there's a even larger question about good and bad as well in terms of uh, the, the Jewish community that maybe particularly within the progressive movement, there's been a huge polarisation about Trump being bad and Biden being good and this result being the kind of saviour even if you take out the uh, Israel politics and from other Jews in other uh, in other spectrums Trump because of his relationship to Israel being good and Biden because of people's perceived of what he might do being being bad and I think we've got an interesting conversation now about how we don't polarise politics in that way. And that actually, with most politicians, as with most people, there is both good and bad. And that the danger of putting so much emphasis on one person as though they will be the saviour and that actually we don't have a part to play in that is really dangerous. And so I think there's a bigger question for us, which is what's our role now? So not just what does this mean for us, but how do we play our part in whatever the conversation now is, even though it's in another country, but perhaps that's the same with Israel. I think I think that's absolutely brilliant point, Charlie. Um, and I think the good-bad thing is something that I've found really difficult because there is, it's not good and bad. It's not black and white or orange and white. It's very easy to just scream and say Trump is evil personified and we're now delighted that this, you know, saviour has come to save us. That is not the situation. You know, the reality is Trump actually nearly won. Um, It looks like he's got about 71 million people voting for him. I don't believe that there are 71 million ignorant bigots in the USA. Um, Among those, I think, you know, he had a significant proportion of the Ladino vote, of the African-American vote. I think even 55% of white women ended up voting for him. It's a lot more complicated than you would think. And I think what we have to do is understand why people are looking at a man who, on the surface, seems pretty vile and is very, you know, um, has a huge amount of faults, why people are looking beyond that and actually giving him their vote. What is it he is saying to them? You know, they, you know, what is it? 56% of people said they felt better off at the end of the four-year Trump term. 
people voted for him. He could have easily won. The election was so, so close. The Republicans did really well. So, you know, you know, what, what is why are the Democrats putting because people off? One of the things that, about that, Rebecca, is that regardless of which way you look at it, it the right of politics is normally far more organized and far more efficient at delivering things in particularly in in relation to elections than the left and that has just been a traditional thing because the right is far more can be far more decisive than the left can be and yes they got their numbers out and that's something that has always been the case and something we've always got to look at and say you know at the end of the day, people will prioritise themselves over the greater good. That isn't all the case. And sometimes we have to look at it, particularly where we stand as liberal Jews, is there's a lot of areas that we stand for the the unrepresented in other areas. And you have to stand for those. And I think some of the issues that came up over this last year um, about Black Lives Matter and why it's Black Lives Matter, not all lives matter, We've just got to look at it and say, you know, there's areas that have been brought to the fore. But when you comes down to it, always, always, always happens when it comes down to it, when you then ask somebody to put their name against something, the first thing they put their name against is about me. But aren't we making a huge, aren't we making a huge assumption there, Leo? I mean, are we able to say, um, you know, what is best for other people? I think uh, there's been very interesting research done uh, both in Israel, America and the UK looking at the demographics of people that vote for right-wing parties. And actually, although our perception may be one way, research tells us that often, for example, working-class Brits voting for Conservatives when maybe our perception is that they're not the party that has their interests at the heart but actually their reasons for voting for them are really complex and it's a similar situation in Israel where often people that you would perceive not to be voting for right-wing religious and I use the word religious in a perhaps a slightly ironic way in my own opinion but anyway religious parties are not the people that we as liberal minded want them to be and we have to be really aware of that and I think equally it's not just Trump I'm talking about here Mm. Biden has a long history in politics and in any long history in politics there are going to be a checkered past and some of his friendships and some of the policies that he's voted for and supported and advocating for, although we're thinking about climate change now and fairer economic deals, they've not always been the things that he has stood up and put his name next to or the associations that he's kept. And we cannot make him into a hero Mm. because he is only going to let us down. He is just the Mm. (laughs) anti-Trump. Yeah, and I think that's a really good point, Charlie, because actually... To me, there are some bigger issues which should be bigger than politics, which shouldn't be about politics. And, you know, we're sitting here today uh, just in the middle of uh, lockdown number two, and we're still having people on either side having a political battle about that. And you're like, guys, that shouldn't be a political argument. Climate change should not be a political discussion. It shouldn't be. It, they should. It should be taken away from that thing because scoring points against poli- against climate change is not scoring points against somebody else. It's scoring points against everybody in the pa- and the and the planet. And that's the thing that I think that we maybe we need to work out how to remove certain elements out of there because 
you know, human rights are not about individuals as in this per this type of human rights over that type of human rights and black lives matter over another type it should be about everybody having those rights but you focus on the ones which are the problem at the time but in a way it's almost like they should have they should that's the problem in america you've ended up going and it's always the case is do i vote for somebody who's going to take my taxes and i'm i'm a hard working person and i want to be a millionaire so i'm never going to vote for uh, the Democrats, because as soon as I become uh, rich, they're going to take my money away from me. Or do I, or as a hardworking person, do I want to vote for somebody who's going to ensure that I have medical care? I think the thing is that ultimately life is political. So even what you have just said is a display of your own political location. So of course, we know from each other that we all accept that climate change is a reality and that we need to prioritise um, making the planet viable again and sustainable. But actually, in and of itself, that's a political opinion. And so perhaps it's not just about the way that we perceive these issues, but learning to talk about them again. So Rebecca often talks about Twitter in fact, open this up about coming away from Twitter because mm. of the polarisation of the conversation. And that works both ways. One, it's the people that we hate to hear, but it's also our own social bubble allows us to think that we're going to see the world in one way. So I imagine I wasn't alone on assuming Brexit could never happen mm. because my social bubble on social media told me that it couldn't possibly happen. So somehow we've got to reconstruct the dialogue and the way to talk to each other. I've suffered at it. Anytime I make a statement about Israel particularly, I hear from those within our community who call me every name under the sun and send a whole barrage of abuse. And that's internally with our own community. And we've got to change that conversation, the nature of the conversation and the way perhaps that we use social media. I think um, one of the, um, I mean, it's actually very timely in terms of having this conversation now, because my kind of epiphany was actually in 2016, Charlie, for, for those two reasons, Brexit and Trump, you know, I couldn't believe either of those things would happen. They both did. And I remember so clearly the day after Trump being elected saying, I want to understand this. I'm not just going to write off all of those people as racist bigots, or even people who just voted for lower taxes. I mean, I think it's more complicated than that. I really do. So I have spent the last four years looking for people who are not necessarily pro-Trump, but, you know, again, they're not kind of like just buying into the orange man bad syndrome, you know, that they're people right of centre, they're people on the conservative spectrum who accept that Trump has done, you know, good things as well as being a pretty vile human. I, I feel that I listen to a much broader range of people, but it was as a direct result of my shock of Trump's victory that I, I went out of my way to find those people and follow those people. And I feel that I've learned a lot from that. You know, I obviously don't always agree with them, but every now and then they will say something that has made me think very differently. I think everyone should go out of their way if they're going to spend a lot of time on Twitter and they shouldn't necessarily be doing that. But if they do, I think they should be going out of their way to follow people that they actively disagree with. Moving that on then, give me three things that you think that Trump has done well in the last four years. Um, I think that a lot of people are feeling better off under his presidency. Um, about 56% of people have said they do. Um, I think he's done some good stuff on crime 
um, and he's got some, you know, cross-partisan support on some of the crime acts. Unemployment is or was at a record low pre-COVID and arguably um, the Middle East. You know, there are countries that Israel are now making um, peace deals, if that's the right word. So those are the ones that I would come up with. Charlie? I have to say that as I was listening to Rebecca, I think there is huge amounts of truth in that. He has mobilised people and people have become engaged in politics who felt very disenfranchised from politics. And actually, I think we, we can't underestimate that. We've talked for many, many years about youth feeling disenfranchised and um, not part of a conversation, not just youth, actually, a whole swathe of people not voting. The voting percentage this, even if it was people voting against Trump, is unbelievable. I think that has to be a good Thing. But I have to say that the other thing that crossed my mind was, I don't know if either of you have seen the Borat with um, Mayor Giuliani. So I think that before we uh, we make any more comment on that, then we should watch that before next week. And that should be part of our podcast, because I think there is a huge, interesting conversation about how we do commentary and the different ways that we can commentate on a current situation that's not always about the Twitter and the and the political serious conversation, but actually the humour that maybe belies other truths that lie beneath. For me... Whether it's right or wrong, I think that the accessibility of uh, access to politicians has increased dramatically under Trump. Mm. Um, okay, yes, we're all sitting here seeing his Twitter feed. We have to look back and think that it wasn't that long ago before you, when you just never heard and everything was um, restricted. While I may not agree with a lot of the comments, it it is an insight that you actually get that we've never, ever had mm. before. Um, I think that some of the things that he's been quite bold to stand up for, the, the movement of the American embassy back to Jerusalem has been on the cards. It's been in the legislation for years um, and he enacted it. Now, you may argue that he enacted something that was uh, an arg caused a big argument, but he's opened arguments i mean it definitely has turned into one of those uh my enemy's enemy is my friend and he's mm. enabled certain countries had no real argument with israel they were two thousand plus miles away some of these near neighbors they talk they refer to who have signed up deals and they're now signing up deals because they're more concerned about iran than they are about uh, israel and that's quite interesting that he's opened and enabled that on the other hand, as we've all said, you know, there's lots that we can all see that he hasn't done. He is a very much a, a small me person. He reflects that back with people who view that the, the world ends at the end of their picket fence and he wants them to take ownership. And that's, if you take pride in what's in there, but you take pride in outside as well, then that's a good thing. But I think it was in a one way. Can I can I just say I didn't expect to spend ten minutes of the first of our first episode recording podcast praising Donald Trump, but hey, I don't think we're praising Donald Trump by any stretch of the imagination. But I do think that it, Leo's point about the democratization of access to people to politics is a really interesting one. And while I don't want to become very parochial about the discussion, I think in terms of liberal Judaism and Judaism, it's really interesting to think about that in terms of COVID. Because one of the things I've really noticed during COVID has been the access that our communities, for example, have had to leadership and to 
rabbis and for example I don't know whether any of you have heard I certainly have been listening to regularly progressively Jewish the uh, liberal reform and Leo Beck rabbis doing their podcast where every different rabbi across the progressive world is suddenly beamed into uh, all of our community's homes but also things like our community briefings which are happening every week that have really changed the nature of liberal Judaism instead of it being just those people that can get to London and be part of a council meeting and a decision making suddenly all of our communities can have a say in the priorities of things that are happening. And I know that we've had a lot of concerns about um, how COVID has really shown up the great gaps in society in terms of uh, poverty, in terms of social justice. But it also has provided, I think, a tool that in some areas certainly has allowed people who have not had access to power to suddenly have more ability to access or walk in even walk into our services because they're online rather than in person i think that one of the things that became very jewish about this <laughs> was that we found out as shabbat literally was going out uh that so did trump we had 90 minutes to celebrate and after 90 minutes uh we suddenly found out that rabbi lord Sachs, while he's not the rabbi of us or the never had never has been He's just an amazing, was an amazing, amazing person. I've been in the room with him a number of times. And if ever there was a person that literally, the it's not a light, but it's just the focus is on that person because he's, the way he spoke and the way he dealt with things was just amazing. Charlie, did you have much dealings with him over your time? I didn't have an awful lot of dealings with him. I met him a few times as well, and I was at uh, Fry Mervis's induction uh, where he spoke as well. And um, I, I've read a lot of Lord Sachs, Rabbi Lord Sachs's work as well. And maybe it's controversial, but I've cited him in many a sermon because his learning and his view on the world while not always mine, was certainly something to think about and provoke. And I think even though, interestingly, a lot of the conversation has been different elements of our of our congregations talking about the Hugo Grin affair and the fact that Lord Sachs didn't attend Hugo Grin, Rabbi Hugo Grin's funeral. Actually, his widow asked us not to have that conversation. Hugo Grin's widows didn't have that conversation. And I think that Rabbi Lord Sachs gave the beginnings of a dialogue between the communities. Even if that was not his uh, primary motivation I think that his learning was so universal and hit so many of our con congregations that actually the continued development of relationships between the United Synagogue and Progressive World really did begin with Lord Sachs. But it's even more than that I would say uh, while it was he produced that in the UK I think a lot of the people in America referred or could see him as their chief rabbi at times because he was modern orthodox in certain areas. He he came over as an, as a, as somebody that was knew something outside of just the rabbinic side of the world. That I think that was amazing. The guy has had knowledge in many many spheres, um, and was just nice to listen to. 
I'm actually reading his book, Morality, at the moment. I'm about three quarters of the way through and it's it's wonderful. I mean, it's just erudite and intelligent and witty and he's got some great anecdotes. He's got this lovely anecdote, which I actually read to a couple of my non-Jewish friends. Um, I actually read to them the other day on a Zoom call because I just thought it was so wonderful. And it was about when John Major and Tony Blair were... Um, it was actually on the way to Yitzhak Rabin's funeral. So actually very timely obviously because we've just um, marked the anniversary of that and they were on their way to um, to the funeral and Rabbi Sachs basically said look this is an opportunity where we're you know we're all together in a private plane for two or three hours let's really talk about what what matters and let's really talk about what's bothering us and it was a little bit of a kind of cast in our mind back to things where politics was less polarized more civil um, more moderate um, and it was a great anecdote and that was literally just last week um, that I read that so very sad it it is and he's left a hole um, mm, he has and it's going to be interesting to see how the legacy is goes and and with everything like that although in this case uh, Chief Mervyn is there so there there isn't a direct gap it will be interesting to see how things move forward I think the nature of chief rabbinate and or leaders of religious movements is interesting in and of itself. I mean, maybe I would say that, but um, it's... You should be the chief rabbi, Charlie. <laughs> chief Charlie. I have, n- I have no desire. In fact, I come from a really different place, which is about how do we raise up multiple voices? Because that's exactly the question with Rabbi Lord Sachs is... We allowed him, or we have in this conversation, allowed him to have a space in our own religious spectrum of rabbis. Mm. He played an important, you're reading his work, I've read his work, used him in sermons. And how do we, again, recognise that even within liberal Judaism, we have a range of rabbis with different opinions. And how do we come out of the parochiality of saying there has to be one There has to be the chief rabbi, the lead rabbi, or this is my rabbi and I don't have others, rather than a recognition that there's a strength in a multivocality of leadership. For me, part of the problem with Trump, as Leo said, with very much about the me, is about this idea, if we look around the world, of having one strong male leader who is the voice and anybody else who threatens that voice is problematic. I'd like to see a real change in leadership. I don't want to be the chief rabbi. I want to be one voice in and be responsible for raising up those voices of the other rabbis that I think have so much to say and perhaps don't have the platform on which to say it. I think that's a change in the way the world works now. So in the past, as we, as I said earlier, the, the whole point about one of the things that I think is, Trump has brought is that he's enabled Twitter to be an accessible way to talk to politicians. I think, as you said earlier, Charlie, with why we've gone through in COVID, it means that anybody can sit here and watch a service from any rabbi. It doesn't even need to be that. You can drop into your local church and see what the service looks like there without feeling alien and being shunned. Looked at. <laughs> um, and it's really an interesting opportunity. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the change. And maybe that whole concept of a chief person or a single spokesman or a single a voice is changing in this world. 
and we don't need that because in the past you just had one person standing at the top of a, a tower shouting and now we can actually have anybody and everybody maybe that's a good thing maybe it's a bad thing but it means that you can actually hear a collection of voices rather than one so I think that's going to be a huge challenge for the Jewish community, though, because it is going to reshape the nature of membership um, of synagogues, which anybody listening to this who is outside the Jewish community might not realise how synagogues are funded and how membership works for synagogues. But it's an interesting, really interesting conversation. I think that churches is also happening in a different way. And I'd love to see if we're going to put throw our... Uh, visitors on the couch onto the table I'd love to see having some people represented from other movements thinking about how the nature of membership is going to change for our communal worship I think we're at an inflection point that happened has happened many times in uh, history so the creation of uh, the printing press the creation of mm. other areas and that we've moved in directions and it's 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 empowerment and the same happened with television it does it it's interesting to note that it took a little bit longer although things like twitter etc have been out for a long time it took a while before it actually caught and caught its niche um it was only four or five years ago when they were talking about twitter is dead it's going to be turned off it's you know it's run out of steam it works i still think if you ask me where do i want to find news or find out about something instant instantly it's twitter mm. and bringing this around um i was due to do a live quiz saturday just as shabbat went out and we were setting it up and the rabbi who was running it suddenly got a phone call and we were watching and we couldn't work out what he was doing and i just went onto twitter and i just had an instinct and i typed in sacks and it was there straight away um and it happened that the rabbi i was dealing with is a very good friend and was it's, rabbi sats was his mentor and we had to cancel um, and that was that's how the world works. But the instantaneous element of Twitter is something which I think we have to embrace and we have to realise that with with it comes bad, with it comes good, uh, the same as it does with TV and the same as it does with books and same as anything. You know, uh, yeah. the medium isn't bad. It's some people who use it are. So I think on that note, Leo, I think we should remind people where they can find us on Twitter. <laughs> so you can find the podcast at Do you Know What at Twitter. You can find me at Rab Charlie. Rebecca, where can people find you? Okay, so if you want uh, me in person, it's at R. Singerman. Um, and the much nicer alter ego is the Kingston Liberal Synagogue uh, Twitter account, which I also won, which is at Kingston Lib Shul. And you can find me at WFC Kigo. Thank you both. And thinking about a different type of media, let's uh, just have a quick check in about what we've been watching this week, because this is always one of my favourite bits. So from the uh, sublime to the ridiculous, as they say, I uh, have been watching this week Undone. I don't know whether any of you have uh, seen it. It's the new Hugh Grant and Nicole Kidman drama series. Thriller was a book and now a series. And what's fascinating about it is that unlike most things I've seen recently where you can binge watch, I'm watching an episode a week because it's coming out. It's on Sky, so I'm watching an episode a week. Old and school. 
old school, proper old school. Actually, I'm really liking that. I'm really enjoying it. It's uh, quite gripping. And the uh, next, I'm waiting for the next episode. We're on episode three. It's a bit like uh, also the Bake Off I'm watching at the moment. And that's also <laughs> weekly. So I am proper in old school watching weekly mode. What have you been watching this week? I have started, it's the UK Jewish Film Festival at the moment, so I have signed up for a pass and um, I watched When Hitler Stole Pink Rabbit, which is wonderful. I highly recommend it. It's a beautiful film. It's beautifully shot. Um, The young actress who plays Anna, obviously it's Judith Kerr, but her name is Anna in the film, is mesmerising. It's It was just wonderful. I, I don't think it's any longer available on there, but when it's actually released, I highly, highly recommend it. Thank you. That takes me right back to reading that book as a child and thinking I must read that with my children actually again. Leo, what about you? Covering on the election theme, the, uh, the West Wing, they produced an episode that came out as a stage play about a week and a half ago um, and and it shot it was it was just absolutely brilliant what was so brilliant is it reminds you of why sometimes you don't need to see every single piece of the action to actually know what's happening so they had to shoot it on um, a stage and they um, at one point the president comes down the ladder from air force one but they've just got a ladder there and it just you, you the rest of your mind fills in the gaps and it was just absolutely superb. And it would just also showed something that can be done 15, 20 years later, how they can do it really, really well. Um, and it was very emotive and very, very good. Talking of emotion, the other thing that I've been watching is been uh, Portrait Artist of the Year. And uh, I am the least artistic person in the planet but I have three really artistic kids and I'm not just being the Jewish mother mm-hmm. boasting my, they really are that's from their dad um, they've inherited that and my daughter last night watching the show with me she's only uh, eight watched the show did the most incredible portrait and I find that thing and Leo I think um, we've talked about this before with you, with your daughter that sometimes when you see your child do something that you can't do couldn't even consider doing is so much more incredible than when you see your child do something where you see yourself reflected and Mm. perhaps that's the opposite moment of the kind of me of trumpism is that sense of seeing something different reflected in other people and that being quite wonderful so we've got to ask about the most important subject of the week charlie the dog yes Tell us, for those that follow Charlie on Facebook, you would have seen a picture of a drowned dog last week. (laughs) Do you want to explain? We have a new puppy, a crusty poo, which is a part Chinese crested Yorkshire terrier cavapoo, so basically a mutt. And he came to us at nine weeks old and he is now 12 weeks old. So we've had about three weeks. And last week he decided that he would jump in the shower with me which resulted in a very wet dog and subsequently a very wet house as he ran around the house trying to dry himself we are still in that mode of not quite sleeping through it's like having a brand new baby I'm not quite sure what we were thinking I was thinking but he now 
we are going for walks. So we're finally able to go for walks. And I thought, that's it. We're going to crack toilet training. But no, we have the only dog in the world who seems to think that he can go for a two-hour walk, hold in everything that could possibly need to be done until he walks back into the house and that is the time to go to the toilet. Ew. So I Ew. think the, the, the thing I always find when, when you get dogs is they know the pecking order of both, of everybody in the house um, and they know that they start on the bottom rung and they soon work out which child they have to exert to move up the rung. <laughs> Has he worked that out yet? Oh my goodness, have a conversation with my son about this. I think that the puppy thinks that Josh is another puppy so as soon as josh walks into the room he absolutely launches himself at him as though taking off his socks pulling at every item of clothing wrestling him to the ground despite the fact that he's a fraction of his size is the best game ever and yeah i think it's exactly about that he thinks josh is another puppy and that he is going to usurp him in the pecking order especially for my affection yeah that's it it's 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 pack mentality and you can see it with dogs they move up the pack as opposed to cats and can i just please you know shout out for the cat people here the cats people who come in the cats who come into the house and they establish themselves right at the top of the hierarchy straight away and stay there although we have two cats as well rebecca so we are now a two cat one dog three children household and uh, how are cat- the cats coping with the puppy i have to ask i've got some great shots of the cats looking at the dog looking back at me looking at the dog <laughs> looking at me like what on earth were you thinking are you mad but other than that, they seem quite fine. They just look at the dog with total and utter disdain. disdain. They are twice the size. I have enormous cats. So they are much bigger than the dog at the moment. So uh, they they seem quite secure. Just yeah. think uh, well, we're they're, bad. They're, they're at the top of the hierarchy and they're going to stay there. So Exactly. <laughs> It is it is an interesting, fascinating world that we live in and how those things mode and they change all the time. Finally, unfortunately, we're in lockdown, as we talked about before. Um, for me, well, there's been massive changes in that. Uh, one of the which was uh, this weekend that's just gone by is Rem- was Remembrance Sunday. Uh, we put on a service for our uh, community for Remembrance Sunday. Uh, we always do a, communi- a service with the churches and the synagogues get together. Uh, we have an Ajax service coming up this weekend. Uh, are you doing anything, Charlie, for Ajax? Uh, not for Ajax, although there are many of our in our community who are. But I was on the uh, London Merrill Remembrance Day service joint with many other faith communities um, on behalf of the Jewish community, which was really important for me to be able to do. Although very strange having participated in uh, other services to not be in person and to be re- recorded um, for that. And uh, I'm really conscious that many of our communities opened for a week in person, began those steps back into in-person services and are now moving back online if they can. And um, the difficulty that almost this is harder than the first time when we had real energy to face lockdown together, joint, share resources, build each other up. I think for the Jewish community, having had high holy days, using a lot of energy to make that successful and online, and then begin to do hybrid services, wanting to be really, really conscious of those people who couldn't come into the building, and now suddenly back into lockdown, that it's much harder to keep the energy up. Rebecca, I managed 
imagine you're right in the thick of that with Kingston. Yeah, no, I mean, absolutely. We had opened, just opened up our um, our doors and literally on the Saturday that it was announced. I mean, we had a lovely service where a few people came because we had an admission ceremony for one of our members who's, who's just converted, uh, Christine Leo, and she'd be a wonderful person to invite on our couch at some point. Um, and that was really special. We didn't have a lot of people turning up. There was about seven or eight of us actually in the building. Um, and then that afternoon, obviously, Boris gave his announcement that we were locking down again. So, yeah, this is it's like you say, it's kind of like resignation. It's a little bit of sadness. It's a little bit of here we go again. But at least we know what we're doing. Um, and most people had stayed online anyway. Um, from a personal point of view, my day job, I mean, I teach piano, as you know, um, and I've had to go back online for a few weeks, which I'm frustrated about I'm not happy about it it's nowhere near as good but on the other hand it is something that I'm able to do so I can carry on working and a lot of people can't so I'm very conscious I'm still very lucky about it but let's hope in early December we'll be um, back to some kind of relative normality. For most people that are not Jewish you know they talk about two steps forward one step back. Mm. Being Jewish we just have a slightly different it's like if you have a bit of joy, something's going to come about that's going to ruin it five <laughs> minutes later. <laughs> you open your shawl on a Shabbat and that afternoon yeah, we all know it, it gets closed fault. again. Um, and as we talked about it and um, hearing about the elections and then five minutes later we heard about Lord Sachs dying and then on Rosh Hashanah we heard about uh, RBG dying. Oh, you know, and yeah. I don't know what it is, but that's just what comes the, with it. The Jewish experience. So can I get a bit rabbinic then on that, which is... Yeah, well, um, I assume you've been to, did a bit of training sometime. <laughs> yeah, a while ago a couple now, of books. I'm, you know, a little <laughs> rusty. Now I'm a bureaucrat. But um, no, I think um, if we think about weddings and the breaking of the glass, mm. that even at the most joyful of Jewish uh, occasions we are um, forced back into remembering that the world is still a bit broken but equally if we turn that on its head and we think about funerals at the end of a funeral we say the Kaddish mm. and the Kaddish our greatest memorial prayer like known as our greatest memorial prayer we're forced into talking about life and so it works mm. the other way Leo as well that even at the happiest occasions when there's something broken, the same is true that even at the saddest occasions, we look for the cracks of light. And uh, I love that mm, Leonard Cohen beautiful. idea, that it's the cracks like that them. let the light in. And I think that that's going to be the thing that's going to have to get us through this period of time. And hopefully it's early December, but I think we're all aware that this might go on longer and if not in lockdown in longer certainly we know that covid is with us mm. for a lot longer and i think that finding the cracks of light is going to be the thing that's going to support us in keeping going and finding i know that people hate that cliched word of resilience but we are going to have to find resilience and we're going to have to find ways of being resilient for other people i'm really conscious of our clergy's mental health and looking after them as well and our lay leaders who have been the absolute support for so many people during this and keeping them strong and keeping them able to keep being the strength for other people and so looking for those cracks of light finding moments of brightness especially especially in this time of the year where light yeah. is few and far between you know it was one thing in the first round when we could enjoy the All sunshine evening with those of us 
Yes, and even those I was going to say who don't have gardens, but at least seeing some sun come through the windows. Now it's up in the dark, to bed in the dark, in front of a computer screen, that looking for ways of finding light is going to be our job. So on that note, I'm afraid that uh, we're coming to the end of the time that we have together. But I have loved seeing both of you, hearing both of you and having a chance to talk a little bit about the things in their news. But we look forward to seeing all of you back with us in a couple of weeks time. And um, till then, over and out. Goodbye. <laughs>